do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.asade.edu. Welcome everyone to uh, this new edition of a Do Better Podcast for Asade. Uh, my name is Ivan Bofarull. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Esade, and this time we are going to talk about the MBA City Monitor, which is an index about the potential of cities to uh, attract uh, global talent. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by saying uh, why we are doing this, uh, this ranking, this index. So something that we have found in the last uh, couple of years is that there is a geopolitical trend that goes in opposite direction. So on one end, uh, the world is deglobalizing. Uh, let's uh, put together a couple of uh, phenomena here. Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, COVID, Xi Jinping, uh, mention of course, uh, Putin. So while the, the world and the supply chains are in a way being disrupted and deglobalizing, on the other end, Talent is becoming more global as uh, remote work has become the new normal these days, as everybody knows. So according to Gartner, 50% of workers are doing some kind of remote work these days, let's say some hybrid uh, work. And also according to Mercer, 90% of companies say that they are actually more productive uh, due to hybrid work. And there is uh, also an interesting tweet by Brian Chesky, uh, the CEO of Airbnb, uh, a, few, a few days ago, saying that people don't travel on, MB on Airbnb anymore, but now they live on Airbnb. And this is, of course, um, one of the consequences of uh, hybrid working or remote working. So people can also travel off the holiday season on Airbnb. So the main finding no, on our end is that these days talent is more like a flow and less a stock, which is attached to a certain city or attached to a certain company headquarters. And it's because talent is more like a flow instead of a stock that we wanted to analyze and we wanted to know more about which are the chances no, of cities to attract uh, global talent. And this is why we put together this index, this ranking, the MBA City Monitor which is actually based on three metrics. One is the ability of cities to attract international MBA students. Second is venture capital investment in those cities, in startups based on those cities. And third is technology universities, top tech universities based on those cities, which is actually this combination of um, uh, business, uh, business students, international business students, venture capital and technology you know, that makes an ecosystem uh, to, to thrive. Uh, among these metrics, of course, uh, because we are a business school, we focus on the international MBA students. And we actually believe that this is a great and awesome predictor of talent attraction, because actually studying an MBA involves such a tough decision making. It's not only because of the cost of tuition, but also because of the cost of opportunity, you know, the foregone salary of studying an MBA, and also the cost of search and the cost of moving. It's because the decision-making uh, is so costly for international MBA students that we believe this is a great predictor of the ability of cities to attract talent. 
The main findings of the ranking is that cities like London, number one, Boston, New York, the Silicon Valley area, Paris, these are the top five cities when it comes to our ranking. And also a second uh, rank of cities based on Barcelona, Chicago, Singapore, Toronto, and LA. One of the interesting findings is that the Barcelona-Madrid corridor, if we were able to combine them, they would be the number fourth hub in the world when it comes to talent attraction. And here is where I want to, uh, to introduce you to my colleague, uh, friend, and co-author of this ranking, uh, Natalia Olson. It's an honor and a privilege to have Natalia on board of this. And I will ask you if you can please introduce yourself to, uh, to the audience. Welcome, Natalia. Sure. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Ivan. Uh, it's a real honor to be working with you and uh, in Esale, um, which I you know, admire tremendously. I'm actually in Palo Alto uh, today in the middle of Silicon Valley. Um, so we actually are uh, an amazing example of that particular corridor that started out of you know, great policy ideas, uh, some government help, uh, and as just to give you a little bit of background, I'm an urban planner. I actually started many companies. Uh, I also worked in the government. I worked for Barack Obama for almost seven years. Um, and now I'm at Plug and Play, which is the heart of Silicon Valley, where it comes to helping startups get going, where Google was actually born. Um, and so we're very excited to be part of this conversation because we believe very much that collaboration among cities is key. A lot of folks don't know that San Francisco and San Jose are the anchors of, of the valley. And it is a big corridor. You have many universities around between those two. You have a lot of talent. And um, it's been really interesting to be able to, to look at that and, and figuring out ways that we can attract more talent. Now we're like actually talking about taxes, right? And, and other things that actually do make a difference in retaining that talent. Um, so I'm excited to be able to you know, talk about this, look at the future of, of these commercial industrial innovation corridors more than anything, because that's what talent and labor and all these uh, new ways of, of how we move in the world are gonna be defining our regions. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, Natalia, thank you for for being part of this, uh, of this uh, study, of this uh, research about cities. It's, uh, it's amazing no, to, uh, to work along with, uh, with you and, and it's a constant process of learning. Something that I would like to, uh, to ask you no, to, uh, to start with, your background when it comes to assessing cities and governments, and you've been part of the Obama administration, is impressive no, to, to most of us. No? So I would like to ask you if there is something that you have learned when it comes to what makes a city thriving or successful, if there is something that you have learned that most of us don't know yet, some secret sauce that you can share with us. Well, um, you know, I was a planning and zoning commissioner. So when we look at policy, um, we actually, sometimes we see it very short term, right? We see the next four years or maybe the next two years, depending on the political climate. And, and I think the most progressive um, cities or policies that have actually resulted in long-term investments have been much more productive. Um, not thinking just in the next four years, but thinking in the next 50 years. Um, and that is, it's, it's, we've seen that across different cities. 
uh, Philadelphia being one of them, San Francisco being another one, uh, where actually the, you know, the cities started to reinvent themselves. Uh, there was a big drainage, right, of, of people coming out of cities because of taxes, because of, of you know, um, housing opportunities, because of education. Um, and so the, the, the having good information, good data, um, thinking of, of how to do those partnerships, those partnerships that you never think about. Um, a lot of cities didn't work with universities or didn't work with the you know, chambers of commerce and didn't work with the, with the unions. Um, and there's a shift towards more of a urban renewal. Uh, we saw a lot of young people coming back to the city because they didn't want to drive. They want to use the metro. Uh, they felt like their 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 value of time was really important. So why why stay in the car for forty five minutes? Um, and I think this is what's interesting when we talk about infrastructure, right? Uh, how those policymakers and politicians actually looked at that futuristic mentality and said, "We really need to focus on trains. Uh, we need to do the high speed rail. We need to." And I think that those type of city. Um, uh, secret sauce, if you want to call it, is more of a let's let's bring in thought leaders outside of where of the outside the traditional ones. And this is what you know with with Barack Obama, um, we were in the recession. We couldn't hire people, so you know part of the team had to be very a more advanced thinking, technological. Uh, it was he was the first technology president, so it was really. Uh, how do we update government with new ways of, of thinking and new technologies and, and, and new, uh, more modern processes? So I think that people are the um, secret sauce more than anything. And, and, and those people. And, and that's, that's so insightful from, from your side, Natalia. And actually, I wanted to ask you, know, speaking about people, and before we start speaking about the findings of the, of the ranking, I would like to ask you, how do you believe that leaders in cities should be like. So how is a leader of an outstanding city, uh, thriving, growing city these days? What do you believe that makes uh, uh, a mayor not to be a leader who is able to take the city to the next level? I think the mayor has to listen, has to have, you know, a, a lot more uh, ability to, to digest that feedback and, and to have more feedback. Feedback is not only at the polls. It's, only, it's not only once or twice that you can go and vote. Feedback is constant. Um, that's why I'm a fan of blockchain. I think that um, when we talk about transparency and we talk about uh, ways that we can you know, uh, figure out that, that centralized, decentralized perspective and be able to give that feedback is key. Um, I think that the future mayors and current mayors um, will be very comfortable uh, with criticism, uh, will be very com comfortable with uh, receiving input, different type of input, crazy type of input, which is the, so, you know, this is the secret of Silicon Valley. Um, it wasn't, Silicon Valley wasn't born out of the blue. It was born because uh, there was, you know, crazy ideas. The, the government decided to invest in crazy ideas, give the money to venture capital and say, go invest in just, you know, things that will differentiate us, things that will make us more competitive. Very key. Like what makes our cities more competitive, right? Um, and it's that differential that, oh, I mean, look, this city, uh, like Chicago, when Mayor Daley decided that he was going to be the green city, 
mayor, every other mayor was like, no, I'm going to be the green city mayor. Um, and he went ahead and built something very simple like green roofs. And he started creating zoning for green roofs. Uh, and, 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 you know, a lot of the younger generation and folks who were, you know, who believed in climate change um, really thought this is amazing. And so you saw a resurgence of people coming back into Chicago. So there's, you know, those are the type of, I think, uh, progressive mayors that believe in, in not dictating, but more of the, you know, creating those synergies. Um, not only thinking of themselves, but creating a regional approach too. Because from a tax perspective, from a, a financial perspective, then, you know, we work better as regions. Uh, we work, we can share uh, a lot more if we are more codependent than independent from each other. Yes, actually, um, I had the chance to have a conversation a couple of weeks ago um, with uh, Nicola Colan, uh, who's a, a famous uh, investor uh, in, in Europe, no? previously based in London, now in, in Germany. And he has been one of the, the, um, the researchers uh, who has been studying entrepreneurial ecosystems the most. And, and he mentioned, you know what? What I have found that makes an ecosystem not to thrive is number one, fragmentation, right? Fragmentation of different players within the ecosystem, fragmentation of the markets to which this ecosystem uh, belongs. It's fragmentation, no? and what you're saying resonates no? so much along that direction. No? And, and along Along those lines, uh, Natalia, I wanted to ask you, uh, when it comes to the leadership of cities, one impression that I have is that um, city leaders have to be more like startup founders these days. What, what, do, you, what do you believe? Does it, does it make sense to you? Yes, actually, I am working on this uh, concept right now of uh, who are the entrepreneurial politicians? You know, who are those type of politicians that really believe that entrepreneurship is not only something from the private sector, but it's something from the public sector as well? Because what we want are civil employees and politicians that are, you know, innovative, that they think a bit outside the box, that, 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 that they have the opportunity to be a bit more disruptive, uh, to, that the system doesn't sometimes allow you to, to try new things. So that's what makes entrepreneurs successful. Um, and I think that mentality, that, that know-how doesn't have to be completely, you know, you don't have to be completely entrepreneurial, but you have to try some of those entrepreneurial concepts and processes. Uh, I always, when, when a lot of mayors I've talked to, they always say, we want to be more innovative, more innovative government. And sometimes I'm like, well, you know, I suggest that maybe some of you guys should take a sabbatical and try to start a company. Uh, mm. You become very resourceful <laughs> as an entrepreneur because you don't, you know, you know, funding is not that available. You have to, you know, figure out how to get paid. Uh, you have to be able to pitch. Just like, you know, what are the things that you have going to? You're going to have as a return on investment, right? Um, what as a politician, you have that return of investment uh, responsibility to the taxpayers, right? Those taxpayers are the ones that are, you know, pay your salary. Um, and I think this is where, you know, when we talk about citizen at the center, uh, we talk, I talk about smart cities around the world. And 
citizen at the center uh, is something that we're coming back to, right? Who are we ruling for? Who are we working for? Who are we buying for? Are for the citizens to make their cities uh, more attractive. And but to anything, anything whatsoever at the most important point is that the citizen makes the city, right? We yes. are, you know, yes. we make, you know, Barcelona is an amazing city. Um, you know, we have so much to offer from you know, industry and technology and startups, but also those wonderful restaurants and places to go out to and the ports and the beaches and uh, all these activities that we have, everyday activities that make our streets lively and makes yes. us to walk the street. So, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, Natalia, uh, let's just start talking a little bit about the MBA City Monitor. Okay, so why do you believe this index? Why do you believe this ranking uh, is important to uh, to cities across the world? Why? Because it gives uh, the city a perspective that I don't think they have been touching upon a lot, which is um, the importance of having those MBA students coming from all over the world. They are your biggest ambassadors. They have made a decision and a very economical, personal decision, uh, you know, like you said at the beginning, to choose that MBA because that is the next step in their career. And how about that city that made it happen, that city that entertained you, that city that provided those connections? Uh, that always stays with you. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, uh, University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, um, you know, Amy Gutman was able to raise tons of money from her alumni because the alumni, you know, came to do an MBA, uh, went back home to their different countries. But in their heart, they always loved the idea of Philadelphia because it was something special to them. And so it was not that hard to get them to donate, you know, some money to the city. Uh, and that in itself translates into economic development, right? That's an yes. investment, that particular um, example was to rebuild the Schuylkill River of waterfront in Philadelphia, you know. And so uh, she was yes. that funding was key. So that in itself is a, is a great asset. We we really need to look at our students as assets because um, they will build companies in our cities. They will actually attract others other talent to the city. Um, they are, I think, one of our biggest ambassadors, and and we haven't exploited that to to the point of. Get, inviting them more to be part of the discussion, the, the you know, the planning, political or you know, deciding discussions that we have in cities. Yes, they will, in a way, make decisions no? uh, throughout their professional career that benefits no? that city where they had the chance no? to, to study during those uh, probably two years or year and a half. No? And actually, it, 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 it also has to do with the fact that for them, going to that city was such a tough decision. It was such a tough decision-making process, no? Because of the cost of tuition, because of the cost of opportunity that they were leaving behind, because of the cost of search, no? That once they have made that decision, and it usually works very well for them, then they are no, going to return no? to, uh, to, uh, to, to, that, uh, to that city uh, in in a in a way, no, by by benefiting that city in a way, no. So, yeah. uh, Natalia, if we look at the findings of uh, this year's uh, index, what we see is that London is uh, the number one city in the world when we combine uh, MBA talent attraction plus a venture capital um, 
uh, ecosystem plus a technology university ecosystem. So all combined, which is uh, how we uh, compile the ranking, London is number one. What do you believe? Do you believe that London is going to be able to retain this top position? Are there any thoughts that you want to share? I honestly don't think so. I, 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 this is where this is where policy making is so important. I'm calling it smart gov, <laughs> a smart policy, smart regulation, because um, when decisions that the UK took in order to you know step out of the EU. Um, I think that in itself made a, is going to make a difference um, because of the connections that we have within the EU. The idea of, of you know, younger people, they don't see borders. Uh, you talk to a lot of Europeans, they were very surprised in the pandemic that the, you know, French-Spanish border closed. I mean, what border? And they never thought about that. Um, so they don't remember the times of the Cold War in that sense. But uh, I think that the uh, it's gonna it's gonna reflect. Um, you know, now you don't you can't flow. You know, the idea of flowing, right? Yes. Uh, you can't flow so easily from the UK into Europe or, or you know into other areas, maybe. But um, but I think that's uh, as we see that. Uh, I think the, the repercussions gonna be there. And 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 I and I and I you know I admire the UK, but um, I think that uh, from a from a quarter perspective, from a innovation perspective, I think more students are will want to be where in a city like you know Barcelona or Madrid or Malaga or you know Paris or where where you can fly anywhere within a, for a couple hours, or you can take the train. You know this is amazing. I love about Europe is the train. Uh, you can you know work and study and everything. Be in a city in two hours. Uh, you know in a completely different country in, in a couple hours. Uh, you can cross across, you know, the Mediterranean and so easily. So I think that geographic uh, perspective is going to be important uh, in access to other to other universities um, and also the funding opportunities. Maybe the, the, the fact that the, there's a lot of funding happening right now for more startups, um, you know, funding for for more innovative ideas. Uh, to modernize government and so on. I think that that's going to reflect a lot um, with EU, the EU economy in, in, in itself is very competitive. Uh, so I think that, that that's going to be a tough one for, for, the, for London. Um, one of the things I think that we have to do too is um, look at those, you know, student attraction, like, you know, a lot of um, U.S. Central and U.S. They look to London, and probably that's one of the reasons why it's attractive. They're like, "Oh, well, seems to be the same." But we also have a lot of universities that are in English, right? So, so yes. everyone we teach in English, and I think sometimes that marketing um, has to be more available uh, to markets like the U.S. And, and other markets. That hey, there's amazing universities that are actually are very competitive as yes. far as um, tuition is concerned. Yes. And another finding, Natalia, is that uh, among Asian cities, only uh, Singapore, which is a uh, recognized as one of the global hubs, is among the top 10. And I want to ask, what do you believe is wrong with uh, Chinese cities? Well, having lived in Shanghai, and I, and I really enjoy Shanghai, um, yeah, I think the main issue with cities in, in China is the way they've been planned. They've been, you know, one thing that I said is planning for the future, but sometimes they're being planned uh, in design in a very expansive way, expansive, like, you know, very big and, and very distant. 
alike. And so the connections are not as clear between different cities. And, and, um, and sometimes it, it, that can be very different. So um, one of the things, my, you know, one of my criticisms is always a lot of the new cities that China has developed, they're not Shanghai, they're not, they don't have that, that street activity. They've been planned in a very, um, uh, you know, high, big highways, big buildings, everything happens in the building. You don't go, you don't need to go down to the street. You don't need to go down, you know, uh, you know really socialize with people outside of, of your realm. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, and I just, I just think that, that the idea that people will come um, I don't know. I don't think so, because if you, we look at the coastal development, most people migrate uh, from the west to the east in China. And so there's a lot of pressure on the coastal cities because people want to be with other people. That, that's, that's, you know, no matter how much you design beautiful stuff, people do want to you know, socialize and, and want to feel support and want to you know, be active. So um, I think the design perspective of China is one thing. And then the other is, is that, you know, the, the the thing is that they might be uh, understanding this. They're building a lot of rail um, and they were able to build between Shanghai and Beijing, you know, within just a few years of, of high speed rail. Um, so there, that is a competitive factor. Um, but it's what's attractive uh, in Europe is the fact that we have uh, amazing cities connected by rail already and we have all the activity ready. So in China, sometimes they want to reinvent that um, and reinventing things sometimes doesn't work. You, you can't. Yes. And actually something that I wanted to share with you, you know, a thought that I would like to, to share is that uh, it, it looks to me it, that cities today have to be managed more like an operating system. And the old way of managing cities was like managing hardware, right? Uh, managing buildings, no? as, you, as you were mentioning in the case of China. And today, I believe it's more like um, you are managing software and an operating system. The operating system is probably that ecosystem that you are trying to connect together in a way. And, and software is those flows of talent no? that uh, that are making uh, your city a thriving ecosystem. No? And, and I don't know what are your thoughts on this. Oh, I love that analogy. I mean, I think that's that's perfect because um, we have separated um, our processes of operations, um, and so but we haven't integrated the the soft what we call those soft skills. You know, when we, I'm looking at it as a company, um, and so with cities, um, we haven't really. Um, looked at those type of um, software that makes our cities more efficient. So, um, and I think that of course it takes time, but uh, I think what's important is to integrate them. And there's a there's a center right where um, we we have so many as a company we have so many different softwares in place that sometimes they don't talk to each other. Yes. Uh, so those silos are created. So making yes. sure that when we apply new technology, new software, new processes, they talk to each other. And, I, and yes. I'll tell you this, in the Obama administration, departments didn't talk to each other. And it's something so simple, like every month, the president said, you have to have a dialogue. Uh, you have to share. You have to, and that just something so simple like communication really helped move the needle on many things that would have yes. taken years. Yes. And uh, Natalia, one of the last questions for you has to do with the Barcelona-Madrid or Madrid-Barcelona corridor, right? So yes. when combining them all together in the ranking, 
overall, this is the fourth uh, talent uh, corridor in the world. And, uh, and actually, when it comes to specifically international MBA students, the combination of Barcelona and Madrid would make them the third uh, talent magnet in the world. Now, this is... Uh, so the relation between Barcelona and Madrid has been traditionally uh, politically overheated, right? But beyond that, what does it say to you as, a, as an outsider, uh, as somebody who has lived most of the time outside of this corridor, right? And you, are, yeah. you partially live in Palo Alto, you've lived across the wall in Washington DC as well, in Shanghai. What does it say to you, the fact that Barcelona and Madrid combined as the fourth talent uh, magnet in the world. Oh, well, I'm excited. I mean, when I saw, when I took the train for the first time between Barcelona and Madrid, I was like, wow, I can be in two amazing cities in two and a half hours. Uh, that's, that's just unbelievable. And I have all these airports, I have all these access to companies, I have all these access to you know, uh, the capital and the tech uh, city. Of, of Spain in that sense, you know, the, the talent between both. Uh, and I just thought this is something that we really need to build and, 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 and promote and, and look at the good things, not look at the, at the negative. I mean, I mean as American, I, I think we always think more positive, uh, mm -hmm. but look at the amazing resources between both cities and how that quarter can attract a lot more talent and a lot more businesses and, and that collaboration, because like I said, collaboration and working together leads to a lot more uh, uh, success, right? Uh, that fragmentation does not work anymore in the world. It does not work. And, and I think that uh, politics aside, I think that the entrepreneurial politicians that see a bigger vision and future We'll see this as a, an amazing quarter of, of, you know, just of economic development. Let's just call it something simple, economic development. Um, we, Spain can actually attract a, a lot more than, than it has before, just with this simple thing like this train. <laughs> so we made a huge investment. You guys have made a huge investment in, in that infrastructure. Uh, why don't we take advantage of that uh, infrastructure and build more upon it? Um, and I think that's where I think the, the younger generation, you know, I was just in Israel and uh, in Israel, they, they're talking about the Middle East as a region. Everyone is working together, even though there's much major more conflicts, um, you know, they're working across the borders a lot more. And so we have to really look at how to be more competitive as a region. And I think that Madrid Barcelona quarter can really provide that. Okay, political elites, take this free <laughs> advice from Natalia Olson. Now, last question. Um, something that, that we have uh, uh, seen in the last couple of years is that uh, Silicon Valley is exporting talent to other places like Colorado, uh, both Boulder and Denver, or to Austin in Texas or to Miami. And we have also seen in Europe uh, that in the Mediterranean, uh, a couple of cities like uh, Malaga are emerging these days, or even Valencia. Actually, a friend of us, Anesade Alam, is developing the Hyperloop project in Valencia. Now, uh, this is a more aspirational uh, question in a way to finish our conversation. Uh, do you believe in some way that the Mediterranean, as in a way, could become, could be 
the hub of innovation, the hub of knowledge, of intellectual uh, development and progress that it used to be centuries ago? Yeah, actually, uh, this is uh, the Mediterranean has so much potential. It's not what it was 2000 years ago. And the history just gives it that rich richness, right? Um, so I've been working on this project, 17 cities, 17 SDGs. Uh, we all have to try and meet the Paris Agreement and the 2030 goals, right? So I think uh, around the startup cities, around um, city collaboration, city sharing based practices, uh, getting beyond the politics and policies, but focusing on commerce, on logistics, on uh, in a, you know, funding opportunities. Uh, what we have between Tel Aviv and Barcelona, tons of funding and investment is happening, just like we're be between the US and, and Europe. We, we're looking at so much more deal flow. We've opened up more offices in the last couple of years at plug and play than before because we believe in the region. Um, and so there's so much to do just geographically. Uh, like I said, you know, easy access, you know, three hours to fly to Tel Aviv, to, to Casablanca, to Beirut, to, to Marseille. I mean, we can go everywhere. Uh, and the food is amazing in all the Mediterranean. But the whole point here is that we, there's a great geographic um, unity that we have to create. So conflicts don't happen, right? We have a war really close by, you guys do in, in Ukraine. But here, you know, we really need to, to, to work together. So, so this type of conflict doesn't surge again. And then we can uh, work across the fastest growing continent, Africa. Um, there's so much opportunities there. And, and as you know, we have MBA students coming from all over the place. So um, creating that, that collaborative, innovative approach, I think is key for the Mediterranean. Natalia, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, again, I'm going to say it again, for joining as a co-author of the MBA City Monitor, for participating in this conversation. And if only we could embed a little bit of Natalia's positive thinking in our mindsets, I think that the world would be a better place for, for everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalia. Well, thank you, Ivan. It's been a great pleasure working with you. Really, really enjoy it. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you.